Welcome to the latest in the Bova News podcast series. I'm Kim Bremer and I'll be your host today. On today's podcast, we're honored to have an owner of one of the largest and most prominent seed stock producers in the beef industry, Mark Gardner of Gardner Angus Ranch near Ashland, Kansas. In early 2000, Mark assumed management of the day-to-day ranch operations from his father, Henry Gardner. Under Mark's direction, the ranch has grown an embryo transfer program that makes over 3,500 transfers a year, making it one of the largest AI and ET beef operations in the world. By 2012, through land acquisition, Gardner Angus Ranch doubled in size. In the last decade, Mark has overseen the modernization of the ranch's infrastructure, enabling many cost-effective and more efficient business practices. Mark is a founding board member and stockholder of U.S. Premium Beef, a fully integrated producer-owned beef packing company. Mark is also a former board member of the American Angus Association, former chairman of the NCBA Seed Stock Council, and former president of the Kansas Angus Association. Additionally, Gardner is active in the Beef Improvement Federation. In 2012, under Mark's guidance, the Henry C. Gardner Scholarship and Lecture Series was created and endowed at Kansas State University. And to date, 36 undergraduate students have received $165,000 in scholarships. Mark is active in the Ashland community, serving on the Ashland School Board for many years. Oh boy, do I feel you there, Mark. (laughs) I'm a new member of my school board. He and his family are active in the Ashland United Methodist Church. He's married to Eva and together they have twin boys, Cole and Ransom, who joined Gardner Angus Ranch full-time in 2016. They represent the fifth generation of the Gardner family ranching in Clark County, Kansas, and their son, Quana, is a teacher in Hoxie, Kansas. So welcome to the podcast today, Mark. Well, thank you so much, Kim. It's uh, fun to get to visit with you, and I look forward to our dialogue. Well, first and foremost, why don't you just give us a history of your operation? Well, we're like most American families, and uh, my family migrated here in 1885 uh, as a part of the the land grant, where if you moved out here and lived on this land for for seven years, you got to keep 160 acres. And uh, remember, this is the high plains, and there wasn't much rain, and of course, lots of wildfires and such. And and so there weren't many trees and they wanted to plant trees too. So if you planted trees, you got another 160 acres. So Henry Clay Gardner and a caravan of wagons came here and in, uh, they arrived Easter, April of uh, 1885. And my grandfather, Ralph Gardner, was born in the dugout, just a sod home, hole in the ground in 1889. And, and so since that time, uh, they lost that place. They lost several other places. It's uh, the typical american story we never really left this area but ralph and ultimately henry um, regrouped and started putting land together in the the 20s 30s and 40s and and then uh, my brother greg and i came along in the 60s and and we are to where we are today but uh, i think the things when you look at uh, what made gardner angus ranch and our operation be able to to evolve and still be here was uh, the application and the use of not only uh, applying what we learned from the land, but ultimately uh, marrying that up with husbandry, uh, forage management, and ultimately science. Uh, Henry Gardner went to Kansas State University. He was born in 1931, so he went there in 1949. And interestingly enough, that was at the advent and the beginning of artificial insemination when that was invented. And dad learned how to do that at Kansas State there in the 50s. And, and uh, they weren't terribly successful at that time. They used glass pipettes. They didn't go all the way through the cervix and some technical things like that. I used to tease him, did you get anything pregnant? And he said, no, not really. And so 
but those those processes and those techniques and ultimately that technology got better and in 1964 henry made the decision that our our beef cattle operation would become a total uh, ai total artificial insemination um, that would be the only way we would settle cows and so i was three years old in 1964 and i never knew anything but artificial insemination and so since that time uh, no beef animal has been uh, created on this operation without ai and or ultimately starting in 1987 we do a great deal of embryo transfer so um, all that is just reproduction when you uh, when you look at the history and if you don't apply that and make a product that consumers want and and be able to be efficient with that product uh, i think when you look back at our history and you look at uh, keeping accurate detailed records uh, that had extensive records and uh, from 1964 to 1980 our average weaning weights of our calves was 523 pounds now that's a 10 month old weaning weight uh, in this area we have native range wheat pasture and some improved grasses we get 18 inches of rainfall per year in an average year if we can get that rainfall, we'll have green grazing year round. So a 520 pound calf isn't very much to wean off of at 10 months of age. So we knew we needed to make change. Dad knew we needed to make change. And, and he often struggled saying, well, maybe we can't make change. And, uh, but then he'd look at the dairy industry and, and see all the things that they had done. And I remember being a freshman at Kansas State University and coming home for a for Thanksgiving in the fall of 1980. And dad said, I finally know what we're going to do. I said, what's that? He said, we're only going to use high accuracy progeny proven bulls for the traits of merit. I said, well, how do you know, how do you know that works? He said, look, from 1964 till, till this past summer, our average weaning weights here in, have been 523 pounds. Uh, we haven't made any change whatsoever. And he said, I took all the bulls we used during that time period and I took their expected progeny differences, averaged those sires up, but they were all average. I said, well, how do you know that's right? And he, he said, look, look at these weights, look at all this. And so um, we tried to make change. We might've made them a little taller or a little different shape, but we didn't change any, any part of their, of their pay weight. And so from that point forward, we only used high accuracy progeny proven bulls for the traits of merit. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. That very first year, we made more change than we ever expected. Uh, the weaning weights were 660 pounds, sired by those high-accuracy progeny-proven bulls. Uh, he and I both would tell you that's probably more than we should have expected. It probably rained that year. Uh, but it was a constant uh, evolution, and we could start seeing 10-month-old calves at 800 pounds. And ultimately, uh, we, we desired a goal of, of that 800 pounds for the whole calf crop, and we achieved that in 1988. So fast forward to today, uh, we take all those technologies, we take that information, we use simultaneous selection for calving ease, selecting against stature within those parameters. We select for early efficient growth, provided it comes with superior in product merit and maternal function. It's very simple, but we have to be very disciplined. So today, and we talk a lot about off-cow male weights today, because we do a lot of bull production also, and they're consistently over 900 pounds today. And, and so we're, we're very excited to apply this technology. Fast forward to uh, 2008 and genomic um, use of those, those products. And today we genomically test and we have every animal since 2008. All these things lead to, to better beef cattle production. And I like to, 
to visit with young people and even make fun of myself. When Mark Smart Gardner came out of Kansas State University in the spring of 1983, he thought he knew everything. Not really. But, uh, you know, all I wanted to do was be with cattle. I'm an introvert. I still am. Uh, but what I've learned since that time period, really, uh, every animal is connected to a human. And so when we look at uh, making sure that the humans succeed and we look at how Gardner Angus Ranch succeeds, we have to get along as a family. We have to work together as a family. I spend parts, uh, major parts of every day working with our customers, solving problems, helping them market their cattle. And so really, I'm a customer service rep. Having good cattle is not good enough. Uh, we try to create cattle not only that the industry needs and wants, but consumers ultimately desire for the beef product. But uh, we're driven and committed to the success of our customers. Yeah, that's well said. Uh, I know that we've heard you talk about your dad a lot and how your dad created this playbook. And you just have to be disciplined enough to continue to execute the playbook he left us. What are the main things that were in that playbook and how does it affect what you're doing today? Well, the first part of that playbook, and we'll, we'll go to the human part, and that is the customer's always right. If you have a problem, we're going to take care of it. And if you do that in any business, uh, you're going to be unique. Uh, yes, sir, that's not a problem. I'll take care of it. And the simple system of what we have done since the fall of 1980 on those high accuracy progeny proven bulls, today that is accelerated with genomics because we can use those bulls sooner. But uh, first and foremost, we select for calving ease. Dead calves don't grow. On the other side of that equation, we select for um, you know, an acceptable stature, i.e. we select against mature size, cattle to get too big in range conditions and, and most forage conditions. We don't want 2,000 pound cows and nobody does, else does. So when we put that, that uh, selection pressure against birth weight and against mature size, within those parameters, we, uh, we select for early efficient growth. And that means growing up to the end point of a year of age or so. Uh, for a steer and uh, to be able at that point to hang up a, a prime, uh, you know, well-muscled yield grade two carcass uh, that a consumer is going to desire and then leave a sister in, in the herd, wherever that herd may be, that can replicate the process. And so that system uh, requires discipline. Everybody likes to talk about they do this and they do that. And people will call me all the time. What do you think about this bull? And well, sir, he's, a, he's obviously a great bull for many things. He doesn't make my sore. Well, why not? Well, when we talk about selecting for cavities on Angus, uh, cavities direct DVDs, we won't use a bull that's not 10 or greater, double-digit cavities. Uh, and they just don't fit. If you don't fit our criteria, we won't use you. I mean, there's, there's great growth bulls that are just frankly too big that might fit all the other criteria, uh, but they're in the top 1% of the breed for stature. We will not consider them. So staying disciplined and using what I call the Michael Jordans of the Angus breed, bulls that are not just uh, exceptional for one trade, but for multi-trades. And so really that playbook is just as simple as making sure that we have the cavities, mature size, growth, marbling muscle and maternal function all in order. And we're committed to that. And, and we only use those bulls that will allow us to do that. And those bulls change all the time. It's a basketball team. But there's typically four to five of those main bulls that we use uh, throughout a year. And uh, the subsequent years, as genetic progress occurs, uh, we evolve. And ultimately, many times we're using sons of those former Michael Jordans. It's exciting the things that we can do genetically. Uh, 
frankly, they're what we are able to do today. Henry could only dream of. He predicted it. Uh, but uh, we've only just begun, and we're excited that we can do that. Now, you have a lot of irons in the fire on your operation. What are one or two things that you want to make sure customers understand about Gardner Angus when they buy your cattle? Well, first and foremost, uh, we're committed to your success. And, uh, you know, if you have a problem, we'll take care of it. I have a, a herd bull in Mississippi this morning. I have one in Houston, Texas, and, and I have one in Louisiana. So how am I going to get them bulls this week? Uh, that's not their problem. That's my problem. Um, when it comes time to, to sell your calves or, you know, we'll work with you. Uh, we do buy a lot of customer calves. We obviously can't buy them all. We work with a lot of order buyers. We have a lot of feedlot relationships. We'll facilitate that and put buyer and seller together. Um, we're committed and driven to the business of beef. Uh, as mentioned earlier, we, uh, we've been, we were founding stockholders of U.S. Premium Beef, which, uh, that concept came about in 1996. And, uh, you know, how did that come about? Well, you look at the National Beef Quality Audit of 91 and then subsequently, I believe, of 95. And our product wasn't very good. One out of four steaks ate bad. Uh, you know, the consumer didn't like our product. And uh, the great prognosticator for, for beef when I was younger was Dr. Harlan Ritchie of Michigan State University. And Dr. Ritchie wrote a story right about that time that said five years to meltdown. And what he was talking about in that story was that at the rate beef was losing market share uh, from 1991 to 1995, in five years, we are going to, to uh, be an irrelevant protein. And I thought that might be a little excessive. And I said to dad, is that, is that really possible? And he said, oh yeah, we're in big trouble. And so when you think about U.S. premium beef, and, and we've been fortunate to make that uh, company work, when you think about that, uh, they made fun of us. And when we were out selling that for the right obligation to deliver one animal to your packing plant, which ultimately became national beef, uh, you know, I heard a lot of people say, well, it's a nice mental exercise, but it'll never happen. But we were the very first ones to incorporate a value-based system that rewarded quality. They sent me in because I used to go get carcass data with dad and uh, to negotiate the first grid. And, and John Miller was the CEO of National Beef. And, you know, I'm 35 years old and this is the evil packer and I'm scared to death. And John Miller was uh, he was a very dynamic uh, man and he smiled. He goes, well, we're partners. What do we need to do? And I said, well, well, Mr. Miller, what makes you money? And he said, well, that's easy. That's the high quality. That's the prime. That's the certified Angus beef. and so we dialogue for quite a while there and and we finally catch our air and said, you know, what we've got to do is uh, make this a pull through system where the cattle that, that makes not only the, the packing plant the most money, but ultimately the consumer desires, we need to pull those cattle through. And so I uh, said, well, and so we need to design this grid to where we get more prime and certified Angus beef and choice cattle. And, and John Miller said, well, we got to be careful if we get too much of it, then it just becomes commodity. And that's where I smiled and uh, got my air back and said, well, you got to quit being a meathead. We've got to grow demand. And so what we did that day was um, we put the, the rolling and four week rolling average of prime into our grid. And and um, we put uh, three dollar and fifty cent uh, per hundred weight uh, for uh, certified Angus beef in there. So three and a half cents a pound 
and we did some other things uh, for quality and and made that grid to where uh, we uh, we attracted those better cattle and that was the first large processing plant to have ever done that and we came out of there pretty proud of ourselves and and we joked uh, oh I don't think anybody will get upset about this. Uh, we joke that we'll take the best and let Bob have the rest. And I realize you all are maybe too re- young to remember who Bob is, but Bob was Bob Peterson from IDP, Iowa Beef Processors. Now, uh, Bob taught us quite a few other lessons, but whether you liked U.S. Premium Beef or not, when we did that, that made all of the other major processes start rewarding quality too. So I think that evolution for value-based marketing and fast forward today, 25 years later, and look at the unprecedented demand for beef, look at the unprecedented uh, you know, desire for that greatest tasting protein in the world during some of the toughest times. I think beef has really evolved where back in the 80s and 90s, we were trying to, to compete with the efficiencies of the other proteins. Well, we have differentiated ourselves as the as the beef, uh, as the protein of choice uh, that the world desires. And I think when you look at what we can do with a ruminant animal and look at what that ruminant animal could do with the majority of the land in the world, which is convert cellulose to the greatest tasting protein that the world has ever seen. When we do that, we keep those fundamentals in mind. It's no different than designing an efficient uh, animal that will be successful for our customers when we do that, we can feed the world with the greatest tasting protein. And that ruminant animal does that better than anything else. And that gives us an option that no other protein has. When you look at the world's population today, uh, that's not only important that we do that efficiently. Uh, it's going to be imperative in the next 30 years that we get even better at it as we uh, try to feed the world. And we'll do it. We will do this. Well, along those lines, what do you see as the biggest challenges that cattlemen are going to face? the not too distant future well it'll be the age-old challenges of uh, weather markets and even people and when i you know weather um, we can't control that we have to learn to to work with it and live with it and i think technology when you look at at some of these corn genetics and other crops and what they can do with less water that's gonna make things better um, when i say people uh, i think you know, we can feed the world today. There shouldn't be hungry people. Uh, but the politics of the world, whether Mark Gardner or anybody else likes it or not, I, I can't stand politics. I've, I've decided to put my nose down and I don't even listen to the news hardly just because I don't want to hear it. And that uh, that probably makes me an island. But I, I hear enough of it to know I got to go forward and be the best that I can. But that being said, our next generation and our current generation we have to be a part of the world and we have to be a part of these policies and, and, and make sure that we apply things that, that uh, will allow the world to survive. And that doesn't get any easier. And just because I'm not going to be involved in politics, uh, we need to, to tell the world the truth. Well, we need to get better at what we do with science and technology and uh, we need to feed the world and that's what we'll do. How about any thoughts on, you talk a lot about being the leaders in providing protein. How do you see plant-based proteins or the cellular proteins competing with your product? Well, I'm smiling and... Uh, I figured you would be. <laughs> I uh, bring it on, you know. Uh, they can't beat me. And <clears throat> that sounds arrogant, but uh, there's nothing finer than, than beef. And in all seriousness, uh, 
those are alternative technologies. I see it as a noise. I, I mean, I'm sitting here smiling again when I think about uh, before March of 2020 and February of 2020, our biggest problem as an industry seemed to be those alternative proteins. You know, that's what we were really worried about. And, you know, right, wrong, or different, I still won't go to Burger King. And uh, they, uh, they're going to be there. They're going to be some noise. Maybe they'll get better. They are not near as healthy as the ruminant animals, as beef cattle that are upcyclers, uh, you know, the photosynthesis that occurs and, and just uh, that process of beef cattle is so superior, uh, not only from a health standpoint, but from a health of the world standpoint. So I think it's a bunch of noise. I think we have to be aware of it. I don't think the product's very good. It will get better. Uh, but um, they had their struggles just like we've had our struggles of, as an industry. I think we'd be aware of it. We focus on what we do and we go straight ahead and we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd have to say I agree with you. Now, we can't get out of this discussion without talking about the Starbuck fire. Next spring, we'll be coming up on the five-year anniversary of that fire. I know your ranch was hit hard by that. Uh, how has that changed your outlook at all? Um, your operation, how do you feel like you recovered from it? Uh, I remember egg organizations in Wisconsin getting together, sending money uh, to help with that fire. That was a horrible fire. What did it burn? Over 40,000 acres and hundreds of miles of fence and hundreds of cattle were lost and euthanized. It was a really horrible event. How have you recovered from that? You know, Kim, uh, that's kind of you to remember that. And uh, I remember the folks of Wisconsin and all over the United States were so so kind to our community. And you mentioned 40,000 acres. It was actually nearly half a million acres. Uh, oh, wow. It was just, uh, you know, it, it was 85% uh, of our entire community. And I will say it was the greatest blessing of my life. Um, and when you say that and you think, how could, how could that be? Well, seeing that coming at you and uh, being able to survive it uh, makes you focus and, and know what's really important. We lost a lot of cattle. We lost a lot of facilities. Uh, my wife Eve and I lost our home. Uh, we lost animals that still bother me to this day. But uh, seeing God's people uh, rush to help us is uh, very, very humbling. And uh, you know, when we think about the, the noise I mentioned earlier in the in the world, uh, you know, the silent majority that gets out there and goes to work every day, those are really good people. And uh, the fact that we're, you know, still here tells us that, that uh, the Lord expects us to go forward and, and help, help feed his people. But when we look at uh, what uh, so many people did for us and were so good to us, um, it just restores your faith in, in humanity. And so uh, we're, we're fine. You know, we, I used to joke uh, Gardner Angus Ranch where the gates are tighter than the fences. Well, you know, we had to replace about 270 miles of fences, which uh, was extensive. But now we have fences that last into the next century. The ones that left were from the previous, well, almost two centuries ago. They were from the late 1800s. <laughs> but uh, it... Uh, you know, there it gave us a chance to start over and to remember what's really important. So, um, are there still after effects of that for us and our community? Sure, there's some some debt that we have to overcome, and but um, 
you know, that's really no different than the history of America. When you look at drought, blizzard, uh, fire, tornado, um, what do Americans do? They get up and go back to work. And, and we're just so thankful. And I would say it here again today. Uh, we thank all of you for being good, so good to our community. Mm. Well, you're very welcome. Uh, and it was it was certainly something to uh, be able to help and be a part of. So along those lines as well, you clearly have a passion for the beef industry, but also, you know, faith, food, family. What does it mean to you to follow in your family's legacy and for the fifth generation becoming on board? Well, you know, there's nothing better than being able to work with uh, your family. And, you know, we joke sometimes people say, well, how y'all get along? And we say, well, we don't every day. But uh, Henry had a lot of rules, and I call this Henry's rule number one. If we don't work and, and get along together and figure it out at the end of the day and, and go forward, we're not going to make it. And um, that's what we've been able to do, and that's what we'll continue to do. And when I look at my older brother, Greg, and myself, and what we've done in the operation, and we've, uh, we've aggressively grown the operation because we had that opportunity. And, uh, but, uh, you know, and I remember when we were making some of those decisions in 2011, 2012, as we expanded uh, a lot of land that we had leased, we had the opportunity to, to purchase. And, and he said, you're gonna have me in debt for the rest of my life. And I go, well, that, that would be true. But I said, just remember this, uh, people, worked and gave their entire life uh, to where we had the opportunity to. And so that becomes our job now. And so um, if we had uh, young people that wanted to be a part of this operation, and, and we're fortunate that we do, uh, it's a work right, not a birthright, but we had to grow the business to the point where they had the opportunity to work into that business. So um, it will be, uh, and it is, uh, my greatest joy to be able to to watch uh, our boys and my nephew and our family be able to go forward and you know it hasn't been easy for us or any family in american agriculture um, but and i tell them it'll get harder and more complicated for them that doesn't mean it can't be done so it's a great joy uh, it's a great opportunity and uh, we're just so thankful and fortunate to to have this way of life to be able to to live our raise our and raise our families together in God's country. And what does the future hold for Gardner Angus? You know, we want to get better at everything we do. We want to uh, ensure that the beef industry uh, is profitable. You know, the buzzword is sustainability. Well, sustainability means profitability. So we apply all those things, Kim, that we've been talking about. And, and it's really just as simple as uh, making sure that people succeed. And, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, faith and family and, and how we all get along, when we look at the beef industry, we're very, very small. We have a very small voice and, you know, we can kind of claw at each other, but uh, that's OK. As long as we have that dialogue, we work things out amongst ourselves. I think that's a good thing. And so when we look to the future, how we do that, how we go forward. Uh, I think this worldwide beef demand and, you know, I'm more bullish on the next 10 years of the beef business than I was on the previous 10. You know, it's been a slow sideways climb with all these black swan events. Uh, but, uh, you know, on the high plains, uh, fed cattle were $1.34, $1.35 on Friday. You know, cattle facts predicts uh, that we're going to be $1.35 to $1.50 through most of the winter and the, and the spring. Of course, there's 
people come back over, oh, look at the cost of gain, look at all these things. Well, those ruminant animals give us different options. And I would say that the fundamentals, fundamentals for beef and the fundamentals for uh, what our product and the consumer wants from our product have never been better in my lifetime. So I'm always bullish on beef, even in the worst of times. But when you take a, an animal that can take cellulose and make it into that protein that the world desires and is willing to pay for, that's exciting. And where can people go to learn more about Gardner Angus Ranch, uh, check out upcoming sales? Well, Kim, uh, we have a website. It's uh, GardnerAngus.com and Gardner is spelled G-A-R-D-I-N-E-R. And uh, we have a lot of YouTube videos on there with customers and even myself talking about many of these things. And uh, we actually have a customer sale here in uh, four and a half hours where we'll sell 650 uh, commercial females from longtime uh, Gardner Angus Ranch customers. So it's a video sale, but it's here at our operation. So uh, GardnerAngus.com or, you know, we're pretty easy to find on Google. Give us a call. We'd love to help you. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us today, Mark. We appreciate it. You have so much to be proud of. Uh, this wraps up our Bova News podcast for today. If you like what you heard, be sure to follow Bova News on your favorite podcast subscription service. And while you're at it, go ahead and follow us on the various social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube page. Be sure to check out our website, bovanews.com, for more information and alerts to upcoming podcasts and webinars. This has been your host, Kim Bremer. And from everyone at Bova News, have a great day.